It's very uncomfortable when you have a foot on each shore, both the person you know yourself to be, the things that you know are true and have always worked and apply. But we're living in a time that is so rapidly accelerating that we have to take those truths and still give them new forms. And as daunting a task as that is to leap into the unknown, apparently humans are also super forecasters. This is the Angles of Latitude podcast, session number 185 with Emmy Award-winning documentarian Lois Stark. What you're about to hear is the integration of life. Clarity is power. If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. Liberty. We choose to go to the moon. It's happening. And all things geek. Yeah, I'm not sure I know how to answer that. Uh, You got a badass over here. Welcome to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, J.C. Preston, connector of amazing people and great ideas. And in this session, I'm joined by Veronica Kieran, entrepreneurial coach and creator of the Stories of COVID Project. If this is the first time you're listening in to the AOL podcast, this is the show where we bring you life lessons or a message from successful entrepreneurs, experts, athletes, and artists so that you too can find and execute your own personal mission and live a lifestyle that you're proud of. You know, since the beginning of the pandemic, I've been going through a bit of a pivot with my business. And you might remember that I'm part owner of America Multisport, an endurance sporting event based company. And unfortunately, with COVID, my business partners and I have had to pivot the business quite a bit, as I'm sure you can guess, because it's an event based company. However, as we've been building this new business called America Wellness Consulting, I really think we've been building it in a way that will be sustainable no matter what the future brings. And interestingly, this past week, I've had multiple discussions with people in my network regarding how people think. And one thing I've realized is that during the last 10 years, I've had to shed my linear thinking for more of a circular or global process. And this has been even more evident this past year as we've been piecing this new business together. And while I was editing this chat with guest Lois Stark, yeah, I felt myself nodding my head in, in total agreement with what she had to say. And there's certain thinking processes which are better than others when it comes to developing a business or versus sustaining it over the long haul. And what I've realized is that when I started New Inceptions, I thought much more linearly than I do today. Uh, in fact, today I find myself connecting people and, and different concepts together But even more interestingly, I can feel when I need to shift into a linear thinking to get something done, such as, say, the podcast. However, in this conversation, you know, Lois shares with us as as a few other patterns uh, of thinking that I wasn't familiar with. And I have to tell you, I'm going to be spending some more time really wrapping my head around those in the near future. Also, in this chat, we'll be discussing how to see above the tribalism and divisions of mankind prevalent that we see on social media today, uh, how to get better at predicting the future based on all available data points in our lives, 
and why it might work to our benefit to understand different perspectives in our community. But first, let's talk about fizzle. As you'll find out in this conversation, being able to think in different ways can be useful in building a business. And at first, it helps to be able to think non-linearly. As things get a little bit more set in stone, however, that's when thinking like an engineer can be useful. Interestingly, at Fizzle, they have a roadmap that helps newpreneurs develop their business in a hybrid model. And sure, the roadmap might look linear, but many of the exercises that they have members go through are very circular, global uh, thinking applications. Add to that the ever-growing number of courses that they have in their library, and then I believe you have a very useful membership that will help you fine-tune your idea into income. Get started on your trial today by visiting newinceptions.com slash fizzle. That's newinceptions.com slash F-I-Z-Z-L-E. Also remember, you too can get into this conversation and to do so, all you have to do is tag us on social media. Just take a picture of where you're at, what you're currently looking at, or share what you've learned from the discussion so far. Also be sure to leave a comment on wherever you're listening to the show on and doing so will not only get you involved, but it will help other people find the show. If you leave a review on Apple Podcasts, I'll be sure to read it in an upcoming session. And while you're at it, subscribe to the show as well. That way you'll be notified whenever a new episode is available. Also remember, if you need help in scaling your business the right way, drop us a message at heyguys at newinceptions.com with any questions. Whether you need advice or a strategic introduction to other amazing people, we love to help our listeners in any way that we can. Show notes and show notes extras of the show can be found at newinceptions.com slash 185. And as always, I'll be on at the end of the show to fill you in on anything we might have missed. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is JC Preston with Veronica Karen, creator of Stories of COVID. Veronica, how are we doing? We're good over here. A little bit of an overcast day, but we appreciate it because it has been hot. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it's uh, a lot of interesting things going on in the world today besides the the random hellish heat that we've been having and uh, a lot of chaos in the world today. And as you know, creative business builders try to navigate all that's going on, you might we might find ourselves changing our, our business plan a few times with maybe even a couple of months. And there's a there's a true need in knowing how to actually be able to pivot. Uh, in today's marketplace with with everything that's going on. And sometimes, you know, frankly, for people who have been doing a, a certain kind of work for a while, you know, a couple of years, maybe it's hard to make that that pivot sometimes because they they think that things will go back to the, the way that they were sooner than later. And however, with, you know, really the second spike of covid cases that are coming on right now uh, across the country uh, and, and the continued civil unrest, it's it's hard to see any certain patterns. So today's guest is someone I've been looking forward to to having on to uh, help us to filter out the noise in life and and find that that true signal that we can start building something again together. Yeah, in fact, uh, she's an Emmy-winning producer, documentary filmmaker, author of the book, The Telling Image, Shapes of Changing Times. And as a filmmaker, she's asked, how do humans make sense of the world and set forth a legacy in understanding the evolving times we live in rather than just receiving them and uh, living in a way that is uh, reactionary. So today she is also interested in how COVID-19 is impacting us on a global scale, both for now and also in the future. A woman after my own heart, of course. I'm excited to don my anthropologist hat for this conversation. I know it'll be a good one. Lois, welcome to the show. 
Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. We're excited about this, especially because it's such a very relevant uh, conversation. Your work has is is completely illustrious. It has gone the gamut from focusing on the evolution of war to focusing on the evolution of culture. And of course, now with COVID-19, it's, it's so important to be talking about how world events impact our future as well as our culture. Um, but as you and I both know, uh, we tend to find this work because there was a seed planted earlier in life. And so I want to start there and just ask, you know, like, what was that seed for you? What was the driving force that brought you to the work of a documentarian? Uh, there are seeds in all of our lives that sometimes you can only see backwards. Mm-hmm. And uh, they aren't always... Um, evident in the same terms until you look at them from that retrospect. So perhaps when I was eight years old, uh, and I don't remember a lot from when I was eight, but what I remember was staying awake, trying to write a letter to the United Nations to explain how silly war was. And then fast forward, um, when at a point in life when I wanted to uh, become a lawyer, I was interested in space law because I thought that would be a supra body that could explain and modulate conflicts. And Mm -hmm. then fast forward to this uh, time when I did documentary films on Uh, with a unit that did overseas our specials on countries and conflict and tension. So that would be uh, the Middle East when they were at war. It would include Cuba 10 years after the revolution, Northern Ireland, social conflict in Liberia. And trying to understand all those times when humans uh, get at sharp points from each other and then what eventually was the thinking that brought them out of it. And um, are there those patterns that we can find that can smooth us to the next level? And then eventually um, it led me to writing the book, which is called The Telling Image Shapes of Changing Times. Those pivot points in time like we are in now, uh, which all of us know we're we're in something that is um, unpredictable, knowable and unknowable at once. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we can enlarge our lens and study those pivot points from the past, it will help then perhaps and hopefully to see the shapes of our thinking and then be able to enlarge it and reshape it to match our times and our tasks. Mm-hmm. So as as I mentioned in, in the introduction um, and what you just brought up right here, there's a lot of change and, and the chaos going on in the world right now. And as a, as a world, we're we're going we are going through COVID, and mixed with that, the social unrest that we've had here in the states as of late, and you find a lot of people fearing for their their own safety. Really, I mean, their own actual like everybody's just worried about safety. Uh, in your work, you've you've covered some pretty hot topics, and, and again, just war oriented, just like you know, this awesome, interesting stuff. When you're you're landing into these war zones or these areas that you're doing the, f- the, the films on, you know, you have to make think- sense of things on the fly. And for many creatives and business owners, you know, that's something that they might not be necessarily used to. 
So in this dynamic time, what something people need to realize is as they're navigating the world, as it continually changes around them. I think the only way out of conflict is to and transition when things are uh, look chaotic. The way to find the larger pattern is by the view from above, the enlarged lens. Mm. And um, our particular point in technology and in um, the evolution just of, of the way humans live on Earth has given us these tools right before they gave us COVID. We have the view from space. We can see the larger patterns. And those things do give us a reference system that is above the things that are um, unknown and uh, don't make sense. Uh, so if you think of that view of Earth from above with weather patterns that are going uh, in one direction and then another. So they go uh, ocean currents, they go uh, in currents and counter currents. You see that from above, the design is based on those kind of rubbing stones and opposites, but that overall, life is in balance. Mm. And just like weather systems, you come out of it by going through that rough period where one system rubs against another. If you look back in history, we used to be um, more or less in indigenous times, we felt at one with nature. So it was a circular point of view. But when writing and agriculture came, instead of seeing the world as a circular pattern of repeating seasons that we imitated in round thatched huts, igloos, Stonehenge, kivas, and governances that were councils, and everything replicated that way of the world um, that seemed to be interrelated, interrelated with nature and with each other. But all of a sudden, with writing and with agriculture, we started to see the world as a ladder, linear thinking, measurement-based, hierarchically ordered. And we've been stuck in that mentality for quite some time. Mm. But our very moment of time now puts together a web and a ladder. So if you can imagine that circular web and the linear ladder coalescing in a helix, so it both revolves and evolves. And our moment of time is a revolution in DNA. I think it was Watson who said that the question of our time is how is information held? And in the biological revolution answers that in the helix, um, how genetics hold information. And if you picture a helix bursting open, you have a network with all of its crossbars and hyperlinks. And that's also the thinking of our time, both the um, evolution, what's next, what's next is on everybody's mind, what's going to happen when things um, like just imagining your grandchildren, you, you know it'll have some genes from you, but you don't know what they'll look like. So it's both pattern and the unpredictable, always 
both are at play. And so you try to find that pattern, but you also try to be alert for that unpredictable because it is not knowable. And the one um, other shape that I think is coming into play in our time, which sometimes you can see in architecture and sometimes you can see in physics, and it's like a donut shape. Mm. So if you a spinning donut. Sometimes um, in China today, there are buildings being built as an upright ring. If you picture Apple's headquarters, it's a donut shape. Outside of London is their intelligence building, and it's in that shape. So what is that shape trying to tell us? And one thing I think is it how to see things from all sides and the other thing, if you picture that donut uh, kind of spinning inside and outside, you know that um, it's a feedback loop. And feedback loops, again, carry the pattern and the unpredictable. And so even in business, in your day, we tend to tell stories and we tend to think in the patterns that we've inherited but whether it's for business or personal life, you need to break apart those stories, not to throw them away, but to let them inform what might be enduring and what might be evolving. And then you can be the at the tiller of that sailboat that's able to navigate through the feedback loop, through the wild spinning, and find those patterns and then see how the pattern might be uniquely expressed in the particular problem that you're addressing. Mm, yeah. One of the things that you, when you were just saying that I, I immediately thought about was the fact that, yeah, DNA holds so many possibilities. And in fact, um, I don't know if you're aware, but they're actually using synthesized DNA as a way of storing digital data. And it, it is apparently it's just a way that it's just DNA itself is, is such a, an enormous potential because it's it has a lot of high storage density, really, which means that there's just so many potential patterns and, and so many like possibilities, I guess is the word I'm looking for, that that is like the, the way that they came up with that uh, as being a, a even considered to be a place to store information. Uh, going back to Watson, the, the two revolutions, the, the data, of course, within computers and artificial intelligence, but as well as in biology, are uh, two of the ways that we hold it now. But the other way that we take in information isn't only data. 30% of our brain is in visual functioning. And so much of our information now, especially for children, is coming in through screens. Mm -hmm. And what that will do to their thinking and ways of analyzing the world uh, and the rapidity with which they can take different images and uh, very fast um, sequences is also, I think, changing our brain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's it, that's another good point because I, I find myself a, a, with having an 11-month-old right now, soon to be a year, uh, year old, um, I, he's already gravitating towards those screens, right? And it's not that he's gravi gravi 
gravitating towards anything else in particular. It's 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 he just goes if there's a phone, if there's a tablet, if there's a, a laptop. I mean, he it immediately attracts his attention and it's like, well, why isn't anything else like pulling his attention like toys or, you know, all these different things? And it's just really interesting to me, you know, having a technical background. This is like, why, you know, is there something there that's kind of programmed into who we are that makes us kind of want to, you know, go towards that that source? Um, you know, another thing that you had mentioned was the the whole circular donut pattern and when i think of different groups of people right i actually you know a lot of people think of of people on a spectrum like being like you know maybe evil to good for example well for me if you if you put in enough variations of perspective and maybe motive and perhaps like you know, just behavior, that spectrum, a lot of times to me, based on who we're talking about, actually ends up becoming a, more of a circular pattern where, you know, maybe you have peaceful people up at top, and then you have, you know, on, on the north side, and then at the south side of, of that that circle, you're looking at more of the the people that want chaos and, and are just kind of like the jokers of society, right? And then on the sides, you have completely different groups of folks as well. We've been so ingrained in hierarchical thinking that it's hard for us to realize how much uh, we're like a fish in water, unable to even know we're in water. We wake up in a rectangular room, reach for a rectangular device, go out into a city that's laid out as a grid, analyze um, things by measurement, but that's not the only way of thinking. Mm. And all of them uh, ways of thinking have some uh, contribution to be able to figure out the whole. And uh, I think there are uh, dominant shapes of the way that people think. The circle thinking is very empathetic and interactive. A linear thinking is very logical and linear. Uh, a helical thinking uh, allows for what might be next and leaves the door open to find it. Uh, an inter-network way of thinking looks to hyperlink with the hubs that have symmetry. Mm. But when you throw them all together in a spinning donut, you, which is more like our time of chaos, in some ways, the reset button of COVID has given us the time and almost the jolt to reimagine, reimagine our lives, reimagine our businesses. And that will perhaps lead us out into being able to see the the next shape that is organizing our thinking. Mm, yeah, no, I can see that for sure. One of the things going back and up a little bit, and, and this is kind of an, an example, one of the things I've noticed quite a, a bit recently, um, and frankly, one of the reasons why I don't see myself using social media nearly as much as I used to is that so many people are tribalistic on there. Um, in the, in the world that you've seen as a filmmaker, you actually have engaged with real groups of people who fight each other, um, on, for their beliefs, just like online, but in, you know, it's more real, it's war. Um, an example of that is Christian versus Christian situations, right? On paper, you'd think that 
you know, they're all followers of Jesus, they shouldn't necessarily have that divide. And likewise, online, the people that we battle with who have different political views, you know, they're they're fellow Americans. They, you know, they 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 have the same concerns that we do, but just a different perspective on, on maybe the solution. So how do we change our own perspective to get up a little higher to see beyond the, 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 these divisions that we've been talking about? I'll give you three different points. Uh, when I filmed in Liberia, the story was on um, what they called uh, Afro-Americans um, who were returned slaves from the South that had been sent in the pre-Civil War back to the African continent. And they then imitated the only society they knew. So they set themselves up as preachers, plantation owners, and enslaved the natives. So when an American audience that was, this was during the civil rights movement in the 60s in America, Mm -hmm. the American audience, if you had an opinion on our civil rights movement, you were stuck in it. When you saw the black against black story playing out in Liberia, and we also filmed in Northern Ireland when they were shooting each other. So you saw, as you said, the Christian against Christian and an American watching it sort of as the third point on that triangle Mm -hmm. could see that these were people locked in story, locked in habit, locked in things that they could very easily unlock themselves but it is hard to see within yourselves. It's much easier to see it when it's reflected in a third. The other story is um, when I was in China, uh, a Chinese general asked me my view of the American-Chinese relationship. And my answer was chopsticks, (laughs) that it takes two forces and careful balance to be able to bring that food to your own mouth and to your own people. Mm. And the third point that I would make about it is that we are at a point in time now with technology that we're able to see from all sides in very fresh ways. Um, LIDAR photography of an Amazon forest can show us both the forest and the trees. Mm. You can see the overall view and pattern, but you can also tell what the species of an individual tree is, what its health is, what the drought potential is. You can do that with river systems. You can see where the river is, where it used to be, where it will be. (laughs) And if you take those kinds of technologies that we have now, you are able to understand in where the motion is going and go more in the current of the river, but not just the river that might lock you into old views, but the, that speed of uh, the feedback loop where you do get the new and the unpredictable mixed with the old patterns. Definitely. Um, so I'm going to take uh, take this one and run with it because we've touched on a couple different 
um, quite frankly, anthropological viewpoints as well as evolutionary viewpoints that it's just this perfect juxtaposition. So um, Sir Ken Robinson, I'm very into his work right now. Um, he is an educator who takes what you said about the evolution of our society and relates it back to education so that we have evolved to the donut shape of thought that combined circle and ladder forming into a network of thought. But uh, Sir Robinson focuses on the lag in the structure of formalized education to meet the needs of that network-based society. And I don't think that education is the only uh, system that we have in our society that is reinforcing a ladder-based form of thought in a network-based society, which is where we're living today. Um, now, as you just said, every human lives on the bleeding edge of the past and the future, which is what we call the present. Um, and it's not enough to understand the past, that circle uh, and ladder thinking, uh, so that we don't make the same mistakes in the future. We just we must also be able to use the past to predict the future, um, which enters into the network or that spinning donut. So knowing that, how can one reshape their mindset? You know, we're not awesome like JC's son and have that kind of innate ability and when we're adults so how do we uh reshape our mindset in order to access the future before it unfolds um and perhaps even influence it for the better using what we have as evidence in the past enlarging your mind is very difficult when your mind is the way that you think your identity is and your sureness of uh, what you believe, uh, how you relate. But if you can take those pictures from space and see the fractal nature of them, which means that the information in the small and the large are sometimes the same. So if you look at veins in a leaf, it has that central uh, line down the middle and then all the tributaries. Well, mm -hmm. the tree itself has that. If you take the uh, satellite images of river systems and river deltas, it has that. If you take the paths in your lungs, it has that. So you, you know that there are still fundamental things that will endure, but you also know it will evolve. And nature, why does nature have the new? Adaptation is going to be the most essential word of how we relate to the new technologies, new business models, new projects. And that adaptation has to be a part of our thinking as well. It's very uncomfortable when you have a foot on each shore, both the person you know yourself to be, the things that you know are true and have always worked and apply, but we're living in a time that is so rapidly accelerating that we have to take those truths and still give them new forms. And as daunting a task as that is to leap into the unknown, Apparently, humans are also super forecasters. And there was a book where they took experts and asked them to uh, 
predict the future on everything from North Korea to the Ukraine, etc. And then they also took laymen like brick setters and ballroom dancers and asked them the very same questions. And it turned out that the laymen were more adept at getting the correct answer because they were not locked into a professional mindset. They adjusted their premise as they received new information. So they would send off the uh, questions that related to what it was they were trying to predict. And they would have a wide variety of sources. And as they got that very small bit of new information, they would use it to adjust their premise. Whereas an expert might just consider it an outlier or washed into the common denominator. Mm. So by being alert to those very small changes, which is something like the butterfly effect in physics, you know, that small changes can have large implications. And the more we pay attention to them and really just let them sit in us as questions, then more and more things will start to apply. I think one of the ways that the latter thinking has locked our thinking is that we look for the answers instead of looking for the larger questions. Mm. Mm. I love that. Um, and yeah, so you're, you're reminding me of when Henry Ford was looking for the answer to what we know today as tempered glass and went to his expert engineers within his firm and they all said, huh, that's an interesting question, but they had no, they had no thought process for finding the answer because it took a leap of technology in order to create tempered glass. And it was one of his assembly line workers that was actually able to step back and, as you said, ask the questions and get curious. And he didn't have the constraints of his identity forcing him to remain um, in one mode of thinking. And so I'm seeing that happen today a lot with, you know, COVID-19 dissolving the constraints that we've had around us, which does feed back into identity. And for a lot of people, that's thrown them into chaos or um, crisis, because if your identity is someone who goes into work and has coffee meetings and um, dresses a certain way every day because they have to, and now that none of that is true anymore, um, that that can create a crisis of identity. But, um, but as you're saying, we have the ability to ask big questions and zoom out. But I think, I think there is a piece in there of acceptance first um, that perhaps we have to lay to rest our former identity. And can you speak to, towards that evolutionary piece where we're, we we must lay to rest and have almost like a peace and acceptance around the former way that we thought or lived before we can find the uh, the energy, quite frankly, to ask those big questions. Often we do not change unless we're made to change. And mm -hmm. I think one of the uh, COVID could be considered a moment of breakdown or breakthrough. Mm. And I once uh, asked a Buddhist monk um, if we were in a time of breakdown or breakthrough, and he gave the example when 
centuries, millenniums of his ancestors and his own life had been sequestered in the monastery. But one night they were alerted that the Chinese were invading and that night he had to flee to India. So for him at that moment, it was breakdown. Mm -hmm. But now fast forward decades beyond that, what has happened is the thinking of that had been sequestered in the monasteries is now disseminated throughout the globe and adapted to different cultures and different ways of thinking. So you could also see it as a time of breakthrough. Right. So it carries the potential for both. And um, as an overall, I think we have the ability now to reinvent education. And since education is one of those things that give us identity, and since we no longer are able to have it within social realms, I think uh, we will perhaps need to develop new forms that separate knowledge that perhaps can be delivered uh, online and social opportunities, right? And those that might last way beyond this COVID period uh, for social development of children from from birth through uh, all the years of education. Mm -hmm. uh, Toward that, even the Zoom, normally you see a face that's very up close and it's closer than if you had heard someone sitting, uh, if you were in the lecture hall and saw that face, it would be a dot within the 180 degrees of your peripheral vision included. If you were at a a dinner table with someone, it might be 20% of your vision. But now it could be looking at that screen at least 60% of your vision. So you're seeing emotional content. You're listening perhaps to tone and seeing facial expressions because there are more muscles in our face. uh, And those muscles are the ones that are expressing so much um, intuitive content, emotional content. So we're able now to get information, even unconsciously, in ways that weren't quite as prominent and um, incessant as our Zooming all day long. (laughs) Right, right. One of the things that you had uh, you had actually mentioned uh, a couple minutes ago was fractal patterns, and this is something that, to me right. that, as someone that understands how marketing works, and you'll have to you'll you'll get with me here. One of the things that that I've come to a realization is that social medias are plat- social media platforms have this web. Uh, structure that we've been talking about during this conversation, right? And mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, back in the early days of Facebook, it would actually there were there were some uh, computer generated uh, webs that would actually show you, well, this is the group of friends that you have over here, and then you're over here, and then this con- this group is connected to this. I mean, and and it actually literally shows showed you how your friends were connected to each other, right? And as 
Facebook has grown, obviously that web has just gotten larger and larger and larger. And it's just, you know, maybe if you were to compare it to the globe, for example, it probably wouldn't look too much different than if you were to, uh, based on connections across the world, when if you were to compare that to a a night uh, vision of of the globe where all the lights are in, in around the world, right? And so you know, cities would be highlighted by not only the lights but by the nodes of people connected around the world. And so. As you realize this, you realize that there's 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 these again these fractal patterns. Just like there's lights, just like there's uh, where people live, just like where there's nodes where people live. There's also going to be more traffic. There's also going to be you know all these different systems that come into play. And so one of the things that when you're talking about fractal patterns um, is, for example, uh, redwood uh, forests. For example, you know the things about redwood forests, and I'm. I think it's the sequoias that they, they don't have deep tap roots. And when, mm. you know, they actually send out a web of roots to each other and it's, it's for the health of the forest that these large trees exist. And, you know, just when you start talking about fractal patterns, it's a, you know, it's a topic that I've written about on the blog and it's just something that, yes, it's completely real. What applies to, the, the the natural world definitely applies to the rest of us as well. So, you know, as as we move forward, and, and again, the world is, is changing quite rapidly. You know, in fact, at the time of this interview, I think it's been more than a month since practically every large city in the country ha- has had protests and riots. Um, what advice would you give to business owners who need to stay in the game, but at the same time need to be cautious about how they're working with their community and how that community is changing around them so quickly. Right. Um, Business owners are rightfully familiar with measurements, but there's so much more going on than what can be measured. And Mm -hmm. this Zoom uh, time gives owners an opportunity to relate converse, dialogue with their customers and to do that with their products themselves. What else could their products serve in this time? And I've been really impressed with a number of places that I tend to go to where let's say you you even had to pay for a conference and travel to London or uh, the West Coast for the kinds of new ideas that you wanted to get. And those very places are now offering their um, Zoom's informational background things for free or for very low priced entries. And that is a way to develop a future audience It's a way to develop a personal relationship with your uh, current customers. It's a way to ask your current customers what their needs are before you can even try to answer the new needs of what has evolved. You can't always presume um, what is different out there. And um, one other way that 
uh, perhaps this same kind of sensitivity to change and um, looking for the larger question rather than the specific answer and having that open dynamic relationship both with what you're offering so that it's in an adept adaptive mode, as well as your, you can ask um, a question, an open question now of your client that perhaps you didn't have the liberty to before uh, and get uh, often the surprise and the deeper answer, because this is a time when you're on common ground. Everybody is unfooted, and it's more like one-on-one -on -one rather than buyer-seller. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think if you come to them with that point of view, you there's more receptivity. The, the other visual that comes to mind is that the, uh, the poorest skin is about change, dynamic change. And the two things that parallel, uh, say, the, the, uh, the donut shape and the apple building and the intelligence building and the ring building, those are physical things that now we are building in those forms so that everybody coalesces and has a chance to think and hear everyone else's point of view. And that's why they do it for intelligence, so you're not locked in your silo. That's why they... Uh, do it at Apple so that uh, people can uh, crisscross disciplines. And we learn, again, as you were saying with fractals, that nature does this. It's the shape of the electromagnetic field around our body is that torus, the donut shape. And it's the shape of the magnetic field around Earth itself. And so you hold opposites in this uh, particular format. If you picture that donut spinning and you come out of the top, you see an expanding universe. But if you go in the bottom, you see a contracting universe. So you have to step back and realize this is something that holds opposites. It has expansion and contraction. Well, your business does as well, and your uh, your clients do as well. And the more you can identify the questions that can give you those little endpoints in either how your product changes, how your relationship changes, how you might come up with that new idea that Veronica was talking about in science and in industry and with Ford, then you too, in very small ways, and it's just the small ways that matter because that can have the largest impact, you'll be able to adapt just as those super forecasters did and just make those small adjustments. Just make mm -hmm. that next entry question to some uh, neutral ground that you've not covered before, personal ground, those forms of connection, because in the end, it's all about those interconnections. Definitely. So as a woman who studies the past to predict the future, you'll find this question quite apropos. What are you working on now and what do you intend for its impact in the future? Ah, thank you for asking. I'm actually uh, beginning my next book, which uh, the 
draft title is Seen from All Sides. And I, it's a series of very small anecdotes of how we get locked in thinking. So take the color black and white. Uh, we, in our culture, even use the expression, well, it's as clear as black and white. But in our culture, black is death and evil and white is bridal and innocence. Mm. And just the opposite is true in Africa. Black is the color of soil and regeneration. And they wear white to funerals, both in Africa and also in Muslim cultures and in Japanese cultures, because white is the color of bones. So you mm. see something as abstract and objective as color itself. And then in storytelling, um, we're all familiar with the story of Romeo and Juliet, and we read it as ninth graders. And I made a documentary film with ninth graders about it. And I asked the Hispanic girl what she thought Romeo and Juliet was all about. And the Hispanic girl said, well, it's about her parents. If uh, she, Juliet had listened to her parents, she didn't need to die. And I asked the Asian girl, and she said, well, it's about patience. If she had had patience, she didn't need to die. And I asked the African-American girl, and she said, well, it's about passion. Life is short. Go for it. Hmm. So all of them take the very bones of the same narrative and then had their cultural influence. So if you know you have that, uh, you might be willing to expand it and see if there's another way to look at the same situation. We're used to reading uh, information itself in a book, which has straight lines and right angle corners and is a rectangle. Mm -hmm. And we horizontally across the page. But the Asians read in columns uh, in their original ideograms down the page in these columns. And they use scrolls. So the scrolls unravel almost like time itself flows. And when you think about how we use our computers now and how we use read our text, what do we do? We scroll down. So all of these things are coming together in our moment of time. And they come so hidden in the past, like we use the term desktop on our opening screen. Well, that's a term for the physical desk, but it's our immediate reference system. So we use it. Then we know what we mean. And then we can hop to the next when like Neuralink as uh, Elon Musk is developing the inner link between AI and the brain with immediacy. Well, the, the names that we use will be perhaps names from the past thing that we did know and identify, but the terms that we will use them in will open to the new. And if you don't stay flexible and try to experiment and experience the new, just like travel itself, just like education itself, then um, you won't be able to enlarge your mind to take in this new world that is accelerating so fast before our eyes. Hmm. Well put. Well put. Yeah. No. It's um, and that's that's something that you know businesses who 
can pivot. And again, that that what you're talking about goes right into that, man. I I, I could just talk about this this topic forever um, because a lot of the business is that understand um, these natural patterns uh, and business in the world, then it becomes that much easier. One one book that I think I've mentioned in, in past episodes um, is The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles. And in that particular book, I mean, a lot of what we're talking about here can be applied to bringing in an income and it is this is this has been a great conversation super super glad we had it and you, you both jc and veronica has such fluid minds i really respect and salute the contribution that you're making to everyone's ideas and ways to stay current and ways just to connect with each other so hats off <laughs> oh, appreciate it appreciate it <laughs> So as we're wrapping up today, we're going to get into the rapid fire questions segment. And this is a segment where we'll ask you questions rapidly, but you don't have to give the responses rapidly. You can go with as much context as you'd like. And uh, the first question I have for you is who are three influences or teachers that have launched you to where you're at today? Uh, well, my father uh, is uh, my North Star, and though uh, he's many years no longer in this world, um, he is in the world in all those seeds that he has sown. He, first of all, was very open-minded, and that his uh, reading table had books on astronomy, on history, on philosophy, on current events, on technology. And it's that way um, he was reading those in the 1930s and 40s and 50s and 60s. And so many things that are now a part of our world, uh, computers weren't invented then, uh, certainly not the iPhone, but yet there was information and you could know more of it because it's almost like we're overwhelmed now. But my father really uh, gave to me that sense of wonder and curiosity. Mm. That another person was the headmaster of the school that I went to. And he, his, aside from the fact that it was the most rigorous school in uh, the city I grew up in, which was Houston, his whole angle was to build citizens. And if he could make you uh, a good citizen and build community and contribution from everyone, uh, then he had succeeded. And I remember one very small little moment when he was teaching a course in large uh, historical swaths. But then he, he just sort of stopped and did an aside and said, you know, when you use someone else's powder room and you wash your hands with that bar of soap, you must uh, let that bar be cleaned by water before you put it back. And that just seemed to me such a beautiful way of saying, leave the world as you found it, uh, let your impact and uh, 
on the world, be positive, be clean, be a contribution. And it's kind of like uh, the Native Americans who said, uh, whatever you do, may it influence beneficially the seventh generation. Mm. And they meant that about Mm. land. But it's true of all the little objects in our world, even that bar of soap. Um, And then perhaps the third that influenced my thinking was Joseph Campbell, who um, wrote The Power of Myth and The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And he took all of the universal stories of myths and showed how each of us is the hero of our own lives. It wasn't just that each culture had its own way of coming through trials and errors and growth and maturity, but that we, um, one of the expressions that he used was that the hero is standing on 47th Street waiting for the light to change. Uh, the 47th Street was in reference to Manhattan. But the, the idea was he was going out to feed his family, his worries, his concerns, his contributions may have been um, in some measurements considered small and precise, but in fact, it was those small measurements and raising a good family, uh, et cetera, that built a a civilization. Hmm. Beautiful. What, uh, What are three of your top favorite books that you gift or tell others about you did just tell us one, sort of. <laughs> right. I guess, that, again, um, Campbell with The Power of Myth, and it's both a book and it's a PBS series with uh, Bill Moyers. Um, the other one that, because uh, as a documentary filmmaker for NBC News, I saw how much image influences our thinking and how much image sticks with us. Uh, in our memory system, even more than text and words. So one very pivotal book was uh, Carl Jung, who had uh, a book called Man and His Symbols. And unlike other works of his, which were very kind of heavy-duty psychology, this one just uh, had a series of essays and had a lot of both the past images of early cultures and uh, their iconographies and religious images, as well as images in the way that we build today and uh, replicate what we think is the pattern of the world in our uh, sacred sites, in our shelters, in our social systems. And so um, I think man and his symbols got to the root of that um, in a very easy way to see the pictures. And it also influenced my book, which has 200 images. Mm. Uh, And then I suppose that from the historic point of view, there's a novel called uh, The Book of Laughter and Forgetting by Milan Kundura. And in that opening scene, he has um, a dictator and his right-hand man uh, in the uh, moment right after the revolution. And then in a a moment slightly later, um, he has the right-hand man 
both are wearing hats and it's kind of a winter uh, scene as I remember it. And then the right-hand man is without the hat. And then a few scenes later, the right-hand man isn't even there. And it's, it's a visual way to tell the story of how authority, when it comes uh, in the form of dictators and in the form of dominant thought, has that excitement and appeal and hopes but then it also gets polluted by ego and all the other uh, detriments that come to open-minded thinking. Hmm. So in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Beliefs are fundamental, and I think they change forms and they change intensities um, I suppose I was born an optimist, and the longer I live, I would I remain an optimist, but the kind of optimist I am, I think, has altered. And I think that now I see longer uh, ways that, while an optimist might imagine the world in a certain way, imagine your goals and dreams and um, what you see forward for your life in a certain way. And if you look back, I think what has altered is that the clothing will change, the terms will change, how you saw uh, the full life, the exciting life, whatever the uh, the goal of uh, larger society or personal uh, uh, patterns, it will not be as you imagined it. And so probably what has changed is that allowance for adaptation to accept and to accept even the, the hard and sad and cruel ways that uh, things happen to everyone, and then to still be able to hold on to some version of what is true through it. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that dovetails perfectly for our next question. What happens regularly today that would horrify a person from 100 years ago? <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> There is a sense a uh, hundred years ago of a neighborhood. And now um, I think our sense of neighborhood is abstracted in social media, in electronic correspondence. And I think what would horrify them is that you saw the person on a screen and not in person mm. and that you weren't able to walk your block as people are walking their blocks in COVID and re-experiencing to some degree. Uh, but I think that knowing the other, there was um, a tribe in Africa that had the uh, no word for you and the closest translation they had for the word you meant in their early language, it meant my other self. Mm -hmm. and I, I think we are both individuals, but our, 
our sense of ourselves is grown and expanded in relationship to others. And when you could have a neighborhood, when you could have a block, when you could have a small town, there was more of that sense of uh, that we now have abstracted forms of. Yeah. 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 Final question. How can someone, yes. how can someone be a difference maker in their community? You don't become a difference maker. You always are. You have to be mindful of your tone, of your time, of your patience with everyone because you never know the, the other's uh, particular state and how you can improve it and make it better. And at the factual level that you meant it, Every community is replete with ways to participate. It can be uh, civic, it can be philanthropic, it can be a volunteer, and there, everything you do is a contribution. So be very um, conscious of it. And the more that you find what makes you smile, as you read something, if you notice that there's a little curve on your lip, go back and reread that line. If you have an idea that makes you smile, go back and just stop and underline it. And if you put together all of those things that made you smile, you will know your particular talent. You will know your particular interest. You will know your particular place in this enormous picture that we call the world, the cosmos, and then you will very happily be able to make your mark in it, to be able to add your thread. Opportunity is always there, and we just need to continue to expand our lens and invent ways to be able to thread ourselves to this larger fabric. Hmm. Love yeah, that. Completely. Love that. Well, Lois, we have come to the end of this amazing conversation. Um, again, you're, you can be found on the web at loisfstark.com. And uh, are there any socials that uh, people can find you on? Yes. My, my TEDx talk uh, is called Shape, Hiding in Plain Sight on YouTube. I'm also on Twitter uh, twitter.com slash Lois F. Stark. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Lois F. Stark slash. And on Instagram, um, it's instagram.com slash Lois F. Stark. And my book, The Telling Image, Shapes of Changing Time, was a bestseller on Amazon, so you can get it there are on your local bookstore also can have it or order it. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. And uh, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, a great thanks to each of you for your uh, deep well of thinking. <laughs> thank you. So there you have it. Great conversation there with Lois. And along with past guest Ryan Gottfordson's description of the four different mindsets, and knowledge of different personality types, I think 
This chat illustrates how one will have to think differently to move forward as an entrepreneur and leader. The more you're aware of all of the above, I think the more control you have and in, in your personal achievement. And as I said before the show, I'll be spending some time thinking about how the shapes and patterns which Lois has shared with us today truly affect our world. I highly recommend you do the same. In today's show note extras, I have a few videos relating to some of the topics that we spoke about today. Uh, in the first video, I have Lois's TEDx chat about shapes and patterns and how they affect our world. Next, we talked about uh, fractal patterns and how they apply to thinking. And I found a great presentation on this by Keith McGregor, where he shares how he's using it to develop AI. And third, I have one of Sir Ken Robinson's many, many, many TED and TEDx presentations. And then finally, I have another interview of Lois and Eric Reed. if you want to carry on this conversation with her. Uh, his interview is actually pretty cool and, and covers some concepts that we didn't get into as, as he actually has spent some time reading the book. Again, you can check those out in the other show notes of newinceptions.com slash 185. So that's it for session 185. Remember, if you're a newpreneur and want to make some real traction in your business this year by moving forward with a roadmap, go over and check out Fizzle. Get started on your trial today by visiting newinceptions.com slash F-I-Z-Z-L-E. So with that said, thanks for spending some time with Lois, Veronica, and myself. And until next session, dig in, have fun, and take care in whatever you're creating. And we'll see you back here next time. Thanks for listening to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Connect with us at home, at work, or on the go at facebook.com slash newinceptions, on Twitter at newinceptions, Instagram at new.inceptions, and on the web at newinceptions.com.